Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Welcome to episode 22 of the No Meat Athlete Radio Podcast. This is your host, Matt Frazier, along with your co-host, Doug Hay. Doug, how are you today? I'm doing great, Matt. Are you having a good New Year so far? I am so far, yeah. And this is our first podcast of the New Year. We I know we posted one right around the New Year, but then uh, this is actually our first one that we've recorded. So it will be our first to kind of update, check in about New Year's and goals and everything else, so that's uh, exciting. We have today an interview that we recorded towards the end of last year with two guys named Brett and David Wilcox. They are, as we speak, actually running across the country to raise awareness for, um, you know, about GMOs and, and the dangers of them and all these other hazards. One of them, Brett, actually wrote a book about it, an ebook on Amazon, so I just thought it was a cool thing. They both happen to be plant-based. I think one of them is vegan, the other vegetarian. And they're running across the country in kind of an interesting way. I think they're running about 15 miles per day rather than any sort of crazy, you know, marathons or ultras every single day. They're not they're not in any rush to get across. But still a very cool thing because David, I think, is 15 years old. So a uh, very, very cool story there. And we'll get to that interview in a few minutes. But as I said, they just started running a few days ago. And they have an Indiegogo campaign where they are trying to uh, fund it, and that ends on the 31st. So this podcast will have been launched. You will be listening to this hopefully before January 31st. And uh, if you'd like to support that, you can do so at their Indiegogo page, which we'll mention in the show. So, Doug, let's talk a little bit about what uh, has been going on this year. We have a few announcements about No Meat Athlete and something special that's coming pretty soon. Uh, But how about on a personal level? Um, any, anything in particular, Doug? I mean, I know you're doing the 100 training, and we can get to that in a few minutes. Anything else remarkable about your year thus far? Well, you know, just uh, been enjoying the cold weather. <laughs> right. The, the the solar vortex, you know, it's hitting everybody. I don't um, know what that is. But it's it's been it's been a great year running so far, and like you mentioned, you know, I'm training for the 100, and we can talk about that later. But um, no, I mean, other than that, you know, just having a good good year so far how about you what's going on um not a whole lot going on i've been working very hard which has been good and having a lot of time with family um my running has been a little bit different than usual because i've one of the things that i'm focusing on a whole lot this year is habits and really cultivating being very very deliberate about habits starting with a morning routine where i get up in the morning and do these six things. It's actually called Miracle Morning. Uh, there's a guy online, I don't even know his name, Hal, Hal McElrod or something, has a website that's called Miracle Morning and a book called Miracle Morning. And I got the book actually for free from the, the uh, Kindle lending library, which you get if you're an Amazon Prime member. I got a Kindle mm-hmm. for my birthday, by the way. Oh, cool. So that is great. Uh, but anyway, the book I didn't really like, and I don't like his website very much, but the <laughs> but the the program and the process of doing it's like six activities in the morning you can spend an hour if you have that ability or you can you can do one minute of each of these six activities and spend six minutes instead of an hour but anyway it's really cool stuff i mean like it just helps me stay on track with meditation a little bit of strength training 
Um, kind of that visualization stuff that I haven't really ever done too much with. Uh, writing in a journal. Just a bunch of little things that, that, as I've said before, are easy to do but easy not to do. When they're so small that that you can do them in two or three minutes, it's very easy to actually just forget to do them because they're a pretty insignificant part of your day. So it has helped me to group them all together. And uh, anyway, on that note, I've just kind of been thinking more about habits and really trying to get a strong foundation of habits. And that's what I'm trying to do with running right now is just run pretty much every single day. I'm taking trying to take one day off per week, so I'm not that interested in doing a running streak or anything. For you know, I, I did that once, and that was that was good for me for then. Uh, but it's just now about getting into the routine of running because I am someone who I never ever can consistently run, consistently train if I don't have a big race on the schedule. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to change that about myself, or at least give myself a chance to change that and experiment with with just trying to run for running's own sake. And I listen to audiobooks while I do it, so it's a really nice time for me to do it. And uh, I'm just trying to treat it more of a, as a habit. I'm not doing any hard training or anything yet. I'm still kind of thinking about what do I want to do in the second half of this year, like what, what would be my big 2014 running goal. You know, because there's none that has jumped out at me as like, I, I really want to do this, then it just feels to me like I shouldn't try to force anything. And I, I've mentioned the three-hour marathon would be awesome. Another 100 miler certainly appeals to me. But right now I'm just trying to get, get a little bit of a base built up, build, build this habit, and then and then during that time um, you know, also be happening to build a base that, that will be useful whenever I do pick one of those goals and go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Matt, how, how are you finding those runs? I know that last year during my, um, my run streak, when I wasn't training for anything in particular, I noticed that, you know, over time my runs just kind of became throwaway runs, three, four miles, maybe five, but, you know, just really didn't, no, with no focus, no, no tempo work, nothing like that. Um, you know, are you finding that these, creating this habit is it just to go out and run a few miles or are you are you really kind of i don't know playing around with different speed work or or distances and that kind of thing i'm not doing any of that stuff yet like right now it is really just focusing on building the habit because after i went on the book tour we did this was in early october we did ragnar dc right and uh we each had to run a significant amount for that but since then, I haven't really done that much running. I mean, not at all consistently. The book tour, I would do a few runs a week at running stores, and we that would be part of the event. But I wasn't able to stick to any kind of consistent schedule. And since I've been home in the holidays and, you know, all all that stuff, it just – right now it's for me getting back to consistency with it. But I'm also kind of interested in that Moffatone method and that approach. I haven't read his book yet. I'm interested in it, but it, I know Rich Roll did it. At least he mentioned something very similar to it in his book. Um, and it, the idea is that you build up a really solid, substantial base of this training that is you know, totally at this conversational pace, below anaerobic threshold, and you really don't even try to push it before you've built up um, a whole lot of time and miles at this really, really slow pace. And I don't even fully understand the theory or how it all works, but <laughs> I've heard a lot of good things about it, and that's one of my books that's on my reading list this year, if not – if not uh, the Moffatone method, then his other one, which is uh, – oh, I'm blanking on the name now. It's like endurance it's – it's some sort of very generic name like endurance training or something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, so ju- just slow runs, and I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that right now. I don't have any desire to do any of those workouts until I do get a, a race on the schedule. Quite honestly, I don't know how anybody does that. Like any – and you probably noticed the same thing it sounds like. 
how anyone could have no race in the near future or even or even like a vague idea of what they want to do next but still be putting in tempo runs and and hard long runs and interval work i mean it's just i, I just need to have the big motivating thing in the background for me to do that stuff and it sounds right. like you need the same thing yeah yeah I, I felt the same way and and you know i'm not saying that those runs were bad or anything but they they didn't have any focus so i was just curious if you were experiencing the same thing right so um, that is that. I mean, I the other, only other thing of note, I guess, as far as fitness and diet goes for me, is that I did the Eat to Live program, or I did three weeks of what he said should be a six-week program designed for weight loss, really. But um, I wrote a post about it, I think in early December or so, right when I started it. And it's Dr. Joel Furman. A lot of people will have heard of Eat to Live, but I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast. We might have mentioned it in the Coles interview really quickly just offhand but uh but it's it's the the salient features of it to me are no oil no added salt except tiny tiny amounts here and there of like a little bit of soy sauce or or brags amino acids but um completely whole foods pretty low on starches kind of low on fats too it it's really you know he he kind of says it's an ideal diet and he has so done so much research about it that's what really appeals to me and he's he promotes a vegan diet but not for any ethical reasons it really does seem purely because he believes that is the the healthiest diet you can eat not just vegan but nutritarian which is the idea of maximum nutrients per calorie so as many nutrients in as few calories is his his way to health and we had the the uh ray cronice podcast that was two podcasts ago we talked a lot then about dr joel Furman and, and ray's philosophy is very, very much in line with Joel Furman. So if you're interested in that stuff, go back and listen to that one. But anyway, we, uh, I've, I had, I did that for three weeks. My wife had, was on it much more seriously than I was. I mean, not any more strictly than I was, but she was on it for the full six weeks because she wanted to lose weight. I was actually afraid of losing weight because I, you know, my problem is keeping weight on, and I did kind of have that issue. Like I had trouble keeping the weight on with it. So I've had to start incorporating more oils and things back into my diet, but. It's been good for me. It has made me definitely reduce the salt content. Like now that I'm even done that, I still think every single time that I reach for the salt, I think about it and I think, you know, do I really need to be adding this? And I kind of mm. came to believe that there are some some detriments of, of eating too much salt that previously I had just kind of thought, no, eh, you know, whatever. I don't have high blood pressure. I'm not old. What I can eat all the salt <laughs> I want. But I don't know. I'm kind of doubting that now. So it's been good. I've kept some elements of it. But uh, and how about how about your wife? Is she um... Has she stuck to it? Yeah, she still on it. She loves it. And, I mean, we a lot of lasting changes have come from it. Like, for the most part now, our lunches, and this is both of us, uh, we'll eat just a gigantic salad with with some kind of beans on top and a nut-based dressing. So, like, mm-hmm. that has stuck. And I, that's part of it. I just have problems getting enough calories, I think, that way. I can totally fill up on a salad like that with half a can of beans on there. But I just kind of think it's way less calories than I'm used to eating, which is why it's so good for so many people to fill up that way without taking in a whole lot of calories but i haven't quite figured out the the balance and the trick for you know being someone who who seems to burn up calories very quickly how do i eat this way and not not get too thin not too thin for health reasons but just sort of how do i not get too thin i don't want to look you know really skinny <laughs> and i don't think it's a great example of of someone on a plant-based diet you know right. someone who people are looking at perhaps um so anyway i'm trying to figure that out he says eat more nuts uh, eat sort of whole foods that are still high in fat so that they're really really rich in calories 
but keep them whole foods rather than doing oils. I'm putting some oils back in my diet just sort of out of convenience, but definitely less, less than I used to. So I, it's it's been a good thing for me. It's been really good. And I would encourage anyone who's interested to, to just try it out and just jump into it, give it a try, and see what you learn. So that's my diet. Um, let's talk about you, Doug. You're, you mentioned the, the 100, which I'm assuming is all still on track. Oh, yeah, you got into the to your lottery race, right? I did, yeah. I got into uh, the Mass Mountain Mountain 100 um, in Virginia, uh, and it, it's a lottery race that I think they have, I think there may be 400 slots and about 800 people get in, so about 50%, or 800 people enter, uh, so about 50% get in. Um, and, you know, it's one of these races that is supposed to be up and down the whole way and rocky and slow. I think the cutoff is 36 hours, which is a lot longer than a lot of ultra, a lot of hundreds. Yeah. Um, uh, and every time I tell somebody that, that that's the one I'm going for, they kind of, you know, give me this <laughs> <Yeah>. little, oh. <laughs> but I'm really excited about it. I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time throughout high school in, in around that mountain range and, and running and hiking through there. Um, and just I'm, I'm really feeling inspired by uh, by this race and really excited. Um, the training's going well. I'm, you know, I don't know, maybe eight weeks in so far and, and feeling really good. Good. That's exciting. I yeah, that's definitely. I mean, that's one of the hardest races that uh, on the East Coast. I mean, it's one of the harder hundreds you can do, from what I've heard. I don't know that much about the sport, but it's just. I remember a friend of mine who I when I talked to him about doing fifty milers for the first time, he had done a bunch of hundreds and all kinds of stuff. But he he just said, you know, that's that was when he suggested that was coming up soon. He was like, you know, you probably you could do this at your first fifty, but I I really wouldn't recommend it. It's just really hard to do. Um, yeah. And you're talking, of course, about the hundred. So, yeah, it's it's probably not a typical first hundred, but but you know, congratulations yeah. on, on at least being willing to go for it. That's more than I could say for myself. I was when I was picking my hundred, that was certainly a, a big consideration for me was making sure that it wasn't one that was too tough. I was looking at the ultra. I think it was ultra running. The ultra mag. I don't know what it is. It was ultra sign up. No, it wasn't that. I think it was ultrarunning.com slash calendar. Maybe maybe I'm Oh, yeah. Wrong yeah the magazine's, the magazine's yeah. race calendar. And they rate everything from, you know, on, on technicality and terrain or something. I, I, I think that terrain is basically hills. Technicality is how rocky it is. And five would be the max. And I was really avoiding anything that had fives in the in those ratings when <laughs> I was trying to pick the 100. But I, I'm pretty sure MMT would have one or both of those as fives. But Yeah. yeah so, anyway. That's exciting. Have you yeah, but, have you thought well, about quit like how, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've had some moments of fear, even being only eight weeks into the training. But if or maybe maybe you're going at it and saying quitting is not even an option, which I hope by the time race day shows up that that will be your <laughs> attitude, because I've heard that has to be your attitude if you want to finish a hundred. Right. But I'm just wondering, like, if if you were to if something were to happen and you were just not finished, like you get to mile eighty and you say. I just can't move another step. Will you feel like, okay, you know, I feel okay about this because I went for it when I probably would have been okay at a much easier race? Or will you feel, you know, yeah. like, like, oh, I should have picked something easier? No, I, I think uh, I think it's, you know, I'll be very disappointed if I don't finish. Um, you know, I, you and I were talking, and I, this may have been during the book tour or, or – since then, I'm not sure um, about you know setting big goals and which is something I've gotten really into the past few months. Um, 
And, you know, you, you said we were talking about a few different races that I was looking at. And you said you should really pick the one that is the most inspiring to you. And and that's what Mastodon was. You know, I had a few options um, that worked for my calendar, but um, Mastodon really was that. And I really I really want to do it. I don't I don't want to let um, the difficulty get in the way of of um, of me finishing. But it has been, you know, the more I read about it and the more I kind of signed up naively or entered the lottery a little naively knowing that it was difficult but um not not reading race reports and things like that and 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 it has been a little you know hard for me to wrap my head around you know it's one thing to think about running for 24 hours or or 30 hours but another six on top of that kind of uh right um you know really you know hopefully i won't be out there at 36 hours but you know i mean it's certainly possible yeah it is um and, you know, it's going to be slow moving, but, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of adjusted my training to, to do that. I'm trying to get in as much elevation as I can and, um, you know, technical trails I can. Um, right. right. So, yeah, you know, I think I think I stand by telling you that that you should take a hard race, even after I'm now <laughs> kind of questioning you, um, <laughs> no, which I'm really not. But I, I think I think going with what inspires you is is the right answer. Like, like, what is the goal that will make you take serious action and for you that is the one that's probably going to make you go out there and train hard and you'll, you know you'll probably train much harder than if you had chosen the one that was much easier and right. you'd be more because you're more not just more inspired but somewhat scared of it and that's going to make you put in the work whereas for me had i picked one like that for my first one i don't think i would have been up for that challenge but had that been the convenient one to do and i just would have said yes that's that's really the only one that works out I have a feeling because that was so much harder than what I was really willing to go for at the time. I'm not that the first hundred isn't hard no matter what, but I think I would have not really trained very well. I think I would have started to think this is too much and, and kind of use that as my, my reason not to really train and then kind of give up and then choose another one some other time. So, you know, I think, I think it just, it matters on a personal level, like what is going to be more inspiring to you and what's going to create more action for you and, and, in, in our cases, those would be different goals, but um, yeah. so I, I think that's good. I'm I'm excited to hear about how it goes and follow along. Yeah, and I also found out uh, <laughs> after I'd gotten in the lottery that um, it's 104 miles and not actually oh, 100 gosh, miles. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought mine was so, bad at 101. I was like, how can that be? Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> you think oh, they would man. just you know do it for you, but no, yeah. it's gonna be great. I'm I'm really excited about it and. Um, I've run the people who put on this race, uh, the Virginia Happy Trails mm-hmm. Club. Um, I've done a few of their, uh, they the Bull Run 50 they put on, and a few other events that they've done, and, and I, I really like what they do and um, and the history behind the race, and yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. Cool, very cool. All right, well, let's get to the interview soon, Doug. Um, we have two announcements though. You have one, and I have one. Why don't you go yeah. first? Well, one of the reasons I've been so excited about ultramarathoning recently um, is that I've been focused over the past few months on putting out a guidebook for people uh, looking to run their first their first ultramarathon, so a 50K or a 50-miler. You know, I, I actually don't know your first uh, 50K experience. Oh, I do. I do. I know your story a bit. But, uh, you know, one experience that I had during my first 50K was that um, – I made a lot of mistakes because I went in so naively about, you know, what it was like to run for several hours longer than I had ever done on a, during a marathon, you know, in trail running, I wasn't used to all that. Um, and 
so I decided that this would be a good time to to write a book to help other people to you know help avoid the mistakes that I made and that a lot of first time ultra marathoners make. Uh, and it's turned out to be a really in depth, uh, it's like 130 page guidebook. And then on top of that, um, we have a few interviews with uh, some elite runners like Mike Wardian and Francesca Conte, who's the race director of. You rock the ultra race of champions, and mm-hmm. some. It turned out to be a really uh, great package that I'm really proud of, and it's called Discover Your Ultra Marathon, and uh, it came out this week. Cool. And where can people get it? They you can go to uh, rockcreekrunner.com, which is my blog, rockcreekrunner.com/slash/ultramarathon. Ultramarathon is that one word or hyphenated word? One word. Ultramarathon. Cool. Okay. Yep. Good. Yeah, I think I'm excited for that, too, because a lot of people have asked me, I mean, they still do all the time, they say, when are you going to make the ultra-marathon roadmap? Because, of course, there's the half-marathon roadmap, the marathon roadmap, and more recently, the triathlon roadmap, uh, which are all these plant-based guides to first marathons. But, I mean, they're not, it's not that integrated. It's, it's here's the diet that I eat, and then I would recommend for someone training, and then here's the training side of it. So even though yours isn't specifically focused on plant-based nutrition, I mean, I don't think you don't really give like a nutrition plan in there, right, Doug, as much as for it's like, except around workouts. Right. Yeah. I talk about, um, you know, how to properly fuel your workouts and, and the long runs and, and the race during itself. And it's, um, all the advice is plant-based advice, but, um, right. it's not geared towards, towards vegans or vegetarians. Sure. Because not all of your audience is that. Right. Exactly. But, uh. But yeah, but I'm I'm glad to have something to refer people to now when they say, you know, when are you going to make an ultra marathon roadmap? Because I checked it out and like a lot of it, we have a lot of the same philosophy about a lot of things, and it's it's written in a lot of the same kind of style and same designer even as the marathon roadmap. So it just I don't know it to me is a really great fit and will be a great thing to recommend um, in lieu of an actual ultra marathon roadmap. So I'm I'm happy to have had it and I checked it out and it's great. So uh, you should be proud. Yeah. I'm glad that you are. I am, and you know, I think that um, there are so many differences uh, between running a marathon and and running an ultra that uh, you know aren't covered in your roadmap. So I think it will be a good addition, and and if you buy it now, as one of the bonuses is is an interview with you. So that's right. <laughs> you can, if you really like this podcast, you want to hear us talk some more. <laughs> yeah. Right. Buy Discovery Ultra Marathon. <laughs> yeah. Good. So um, that is Doug's little bit of announcement and yeah, mine what, what is you have? well it's also ours but it's uh <laughs> that finally the nomad athlete community site which we haven't really talked about too much uh is is going to be coming it's it's been in the works for a long time we actually at the end of 2012 teased it in a podcast saying this is coming <laughs> pretty soon this year and it here, that long ago yeah so here we are over a full year after that Still no forums, no community site. But by the time this podcast goes up, I believe they will, if not if not be totally launched and open, it will be a few days away from being open. So there are a lot of surprises there. I can't tell too much about what is going on yet, but I can tell you there will be forums and ways to connect with other people. But there will be more than that, um, a little community blog that, that will involve lots of cool stories and lots of things that, that you know, I can't quite fit onto nomadathlete.com, the blog just because I don't want to have too many posts in a given week, but there are so many great stories that come in from people that I really want to share in places besides just Facebook, you know, more in depth than a Facebook post and picture of somebody in their NMA shirt can go. And, uh, this, this community blog is going to be the place for that. So 
I'm really excited to see how it goes and uh, just to get people to start connecting and like hopefully meeting up in person and running together and eating together and doing races. So I think a lot of good can come out of these forums. I'm really excited about it and also relieved that they are finally going to be here. Yeah, no, I, we've been talking about this and playing this for a long time, and I, I, I agree. I just am so excited because I really think the community will grow as a community more um, through these forums and, and this community site. It's going to be neat to see what happens and, and ha- as see how people engage with each other. Yeah, it, because Domain Athlete has, and I think has the reputation of being like a great community of plant-based athletes, which is awesome that people have, and that people are that passionate that even without this this medium, you know, to to actually connect, have still managed to connect with with Facebook and it's cool that the Nomad Athlete shirts out in the real world actually do serve to connect people because then someone can see one and say, hey, you know, I'm a vegetarian too. If not, both having their shirts on and seeing each other and saying, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but so like, without this, there, it's a really strong community. So I think just having all these ways to connect now is going to really strengthen it, and I just can't wait to see what happens. So that's uh, that's my announcement. So what, where will people be able to find that? that on, the, on the blog? Yeah, go to nomadeathlete.com for that. There's there We have a URL in mind, but I don't want to give it out yet because it might be hideously under construction when people type it in when this podcast <laughs> comes out. So we'll wait till that. But you, you if you pay attention to nomadeathlete.com or if you keep listening to this podcast, you will absolutely hear announcements about it. So, do I'm that. I'm sure we'll we'll have a place for podcast listeners to really connect. Maybe, maybe readers who aren't, uh, or people who aren't readers of the blog, but you know want to connect over yeah, the podcast. Yeah, definitely. I didn't like even that. think about that, but sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's what our years look like so far, and what is to come. And check out Doug's book again, RockCreekRunner.com/slash/ultramarathon, and. Eagerly await those Nomad Athlete forums, which are coming soon. Otherwise, enjoy the interview with Brett and David Wilcox about running across the country to raise awareness about GMOs. And after that, we will see you all in the next episode. All right, here we are with Brett and David Wilcox. Brett and David, thank you very much for joining us today on the Nomad Athlete Podcast. Thank you, Matt and Doug. Good to be here. All right, so... The reason that we decided to have you guys on, um, or the reason that your story was appealing to me, I should say, is that not only are you guys vegan slash vegetarian, which is cool because our audience is that, you're also running across the country, double cool, because our audience has probably never done that, but um, it's a cool thing to do, and thirdly, because you guys are doing it for an awesome reason. So let's get in first of all to the reasons why are you guys doing this running across the country and we'll, we'll get into your to your blog and your indiegogo campaign that you're doing to support it um but let's hear what what are your reasons why are you doing this we're running across the country to raise awareness about something called a gmo that's a genetically modified organism and like the topic is pretty hot right now and we're just trying to support it okay yeah and it, and it is hot now i mean i, I would Definitely agree with that. I suspect, though, because I'm one of them, is that most people are not super educated about GMOs. I mean, by now, we obviously all know about organic and what that means and, um, you know, the reasons for doing it and, and some of the reasons for, for for why it's kind of become, I guess, slightly more popular recent now, the idea of not buying everything organic because not, you know, maybe there's there are certain 
health claims and things about it that aren't aren't uh, you know quite the issue that some people think they are. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure where you guys stand on that. But let us you know what can you give us kind of the you know the basic um, picture of GMOs like why should people be avoiding them? What are they specifically without going too deeply into it? Obviously, um, and and then you know I guess into your book too because because Brett um, wrote the book We Are Monsanto Feeding the World Lie After Lie. And I'd like to hear, you know, what 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 motivated all that? Uh, the GMO thing has been going on for a couple of decades now, and it really became hot on our radar a year ago in November with Prop 37 in California, where they were voting to, to get GMOs labeled. And uh, it was ridiculous when when we saw that that 90 percent of the people there wanted to have these things labeled. But on the day of the vote, more more than half of the voters voted against GMO labeling. And it was really, I was incensed at the way the, the Monsanto and the Grocery Manufacturers Association and, and the big chemical giants poured millions of dollars into California. And they basically fed a bunch of lies to the voters there. So the people that voted yes for Prop 37, yeah, they were voting for labeling. And those that voted no weren't voting against labeling. They were voting against the the supposed or alleged costs that would that they would incur $400 a year if they if they had GMO labels on the package. That was one of the lies that the industry told. There there really isn't any cost that, that comes with putting a new label on the food. They change labeling all the time. Uh, so that's when it really became kind of a, a hot button item for me. And I became aware reading on the internet, blog after blog, seeing people saying, well, look at this lie, look at that lie, look at this lie. And I thought, you know, we really, I could easily write a book exposing all of these lies that, that Monsanto tells. The, the history of the genetically modified organisms is that uh, Monsanto has, takes a natural conventional food and then they, they took a, a bacteria that was resistant to Roundup, which is their herbicide that they spray all over the fields and it, and it kills everything. And they put that bacteria in the corn, for example, or, or soybeans or whatever it is. And, and then they can plant that crop and then they can saturate the crop and the ground with Roundup and everything dies except for that crop. And of course, farmers love that. It's very convenient. They, they get to grow uh, a clean, a clean uh, crop, so to speak. And but but the promise is that it'll give them increased yield. It, it will reduce it'll reduce uh, weeds. It'll uh, reduce insects and and they'll they'll make a greater profit. And so there are a lot of really alluring things for the farmers out there. But we find that the the promises are short term. The benefits are short term because nature always adapts. The weeds get stronger, and nowadays we have super weeds and and the bugs get stronger. We have super bugs that come back and can't can't be killed with with uh, the same amounts of Roundup, so they have to spray on more, or they have to come up with more and more chemicals, and we call that the chemical treadmill. And and for for you know we look at this and say, well, that's proof that this is a failed technology. And Monsanto looks at that and says, this is a beautiful thing because our failed technology is a new opportunity to sell more chemicals. So every time they fail uh, in the field, they make more money off of it. So there's there's multiple reasons why why these things are a bad idea. The poisons being a big part of it, the way it kills off the soil, compacts the soil, uh, the way it uh, is killing off the the, the pollinators, the, the butterflies and the bees. It's uh, 
I could go on and on about it uh, literally for hours, and I, I know we don't want to do that right now. But there, there's there's many things wrong with this, and uh, I'll leave it at that. If you want to ask more about it, uh, feel free to. But that's that's a brief summary. Sure. I guess the important thing for a lot of people here, and the it sounds like the um, environmental aspects of it closely parallel the the inorganic organic versus conventionally grown arguments. I mean, a lot of the same exact arguments, really. Um, what about to to the individuals consuming them? Are there, um, you know, is there compelling and, and scientific evidence that demonstrates the GMOs are bad for us in the long or short term, or is it more um, theoretical right now? I mean, you know, what what kind of dangers are there to the individual who's actually eating genetic, genetically modified foods? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask the industry. These things are safe, and I've actually heard industry talking heads that that say that these these things have been so thoroughly tested that they're safer than conventional food, and they would rather feed GMOs to their kids than conventional crops. <laughs> On the other side, we have uh, Professor Seralini and his French team, and they. Uh, did a, a full lifespan two-year study on 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 rats, feeding them uh, Roundup and feeding them genetically modified corn, I believe it was, and they discovered all sorts of problems through that that feeding study. Uh, Howard Leeger and Judy Carman did uh, studies on feeding the, I believe it was soy or corn, I can't remember which, to pigs, and they discovered all sorts of problems within the intestinal tracts in the reproductive systems. Of the pigs, we have farmers across the country, and not just this country, who report huge problems, uh, behavioral problems, uh, re- reproductive problems, digestive problems, and uh, people that go around and talk about this all the time. They, they, uh, some doctors say, "Well, wow, this this is amazing." The same thing that you're seeing in uh, in the animals, I'm seeing in my patients, the human patients. Uh, we don't have any long-term feeding studies in the United States because in the U.S. The, the U.S. government has declared that these things are are substantially equivalent to conventional foods. So in, in truth, there really isn't any testing required. And what testing is done is often done by the industry. The industry declares it safe. They submit a letter to the FDA. The FDA says, well, you say it's safe, so it must be safe, and they put their stamp of, of approval on it. And, and the industry and the FDA really are, are the same people. We know that through the revolving door that people revolve back and forth between Monsanto or the other chemical giant companies, and they go into regulatory positions or, that, or into key political positions. We know that uh, millions of dollars flow into Washington, D.C., which uh, definitely impacts uh, the decision-making process at the, up on the Hill. When did we start uh, using GMOs uh, in the United States? Do you know? Early 90s. It sounds like a lot of the same – I mean, when you talk about the – the politics and the, you know, the the research that is that is done in the name of science, but is is a, uh, you know, hi- highly influenced by the the people in that industry. Um, it sounds a lot like like the vegetarian and vegan complaints. I mean, T. Colin Campbell's book Whole talks a lot about these issues. I'm not sure if you guys have read that, but was that um, is that also the driving factor behind your decisions to be Vegan and vegetarian. I guess is David the son is vegetarian and Brett you are you are nearly vegan. Is that right? I've been vegan for a year and a half. I I may occasionally on a on a special occasion. I live in Alaska and there's some ceremonial and important uses of of meat in Alaska. And on mm-hmm. occasion where I feel like something has risen to a ceremonial level, I 
I, I've had meat probably a half a dozen times in the last year and a half since I went vegan. Uh, but so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty true to being vegan. Yeah. Uh, our, my history goes, goes back with the, the food thing probably to, uh, John Robbins with Diet for a New America. And, and since then, you know, that, that was a, like a spiritual experience to me reading John Robbins and he really did approach the food issues from a spiritual perspective and that really resonated with me it, it it was all about protecting the environment and the animals and and the whole package it, it the the ethical veganism thing really appealed to me and uh since then i've read several other books there's a you know joel Furman, eat to live uh john mcdougall's books called caldwell esselstein uh prevent and reverse heart disease dean ornish reversing heart disease t colin campbell the china study kathy freston veganist howard lyman with mad cowboy Rory and Kim, who wrote Skinny Bitch, I loved that, by the way. I couldn't believe how sassy they could, uh, <laughs> sassy voice they used. But, boy, they were very effective in getting the word out there. Chris Carr, Crazy crazy Sexy Diet. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a number of uh, authors who have really appealed to me over the years and, and made a, a firm impression. I've actually writ, written my own kind of health and weight loss book, which is uh, back to the drawing board. I'm going to rewrite that before I take that to the market and, and in the last year I really switched my focus from writing about food specifically to writing about the GMO issue and about writing about Monsanto because I thought that would be a really solid message that we could carry as we cross the country. Yeah and I want to get into that in just a minute um, the actual cross the country thing because that that's something that is endlessly fascinating to Doug and myself um, just how both of us being ultra runners that's kind of um, an appealing idea that I think neither of us would ever actually do. So um, I do want to get into that. But before we before we leave GMOs behind, for the purposes of this conversation at least, um, I, as far as like practical things that people need to look out for. I mean, assuming assuming people are kind of buying the arguments that GMOs are a bad thing for your health and the environment, and I know there's argument around that, but um, assuming that that they are on the same side as you are here, what do they need to know? going to the shopping center like Doug and I were just discussing this a few minutes ago uh, the difference between organic and GMO which one implies which or I'm sorry organic and non-GMO um, can you guys clarify that for us I know soy is a huge one among the vegan vegetarian community you yeah. hear a lot of people say well you know soy is bad for you because it's always GMO um, how can people know that they are getting the right thing and and uh, you know what, what soy I mean non-GMO versus organic what's the difference which one implies which well organic uh, the title means that it cannot be genetically modified. So if you see something that's organic, it is not GMO. Um, over 90%, something close to 90% of the corn and the soy in the U.S. is GMO. So your your safest bet when it comes to those two food items is buy organic if, it's, if this is an important thing for you. You know, we only buy organic corn chips, for example, because we know it's it's safe. We only buy organic uh, tofu because we we know it's not gmo gotcha okay so just to clarify it that means it does not need to say non-gmo on it if it just says organic then you're good uh, for the most part anytime i've checked with tofu it always says non-gmo when it's organic because i think that's that's become a, a an important point for consumers and, and even a selling point to say that it's non-gmo so it yeah, usually is, says it is it safe to assume that um if it isn't labeled organic or non-gmo that it is gmo Depends on the item. If if it's corn and soy, uh, it's almost certainly GMO. Some of the other items, it may be a little bit more 
more hit and miss because it, it, it hasn't infiltrated the entire food supply. But uh, sugar is another big one. Sugar is, uh, is predominantly uh, GMO anymore when it's made from sugar beets. So mm -hmm. if you're buying cane sugar, it's not GMO. But if, it's, if you're buying just regular white sugar out of the store and it is not organic, it is probably GMO. And specifically, I know you guys mentioned some, you know, we talked about the science a little bit and, and some, um, you know, what the evidence is, but specifically what, what sort of stuff is happening? I mean, what sort of stuff do you believe is going to happen from this or, or has happened uh, that is suspected it's due to GMO? I mean, as far as actual health issues, what kind of stuff um, is, is tied to GMOs? Well, remember when we're talking about GMOs, we're also talking about poison, so we, we can't have the conversation and separate those things out because the, really the, the purpose of the GMO in, in almost all of the crops that they've created so far is to make it so, that, make it so that it can either absorb the poison or that it produces its own poison. So, so that's part of the argument. Uh, there, there's an interesting point. It's one of the most compelling points against GMOs. It's interesting to me that is that, that farmers sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally have learned that when they place a, a GMO crop right next to a conventional crop or even just a GMO cob of corn nailed to a tree next to a conventional cob of corn nailed to, to the same tree right next to it, squirrels will come along and by the next morning the conventional corn is eaten and the GMO corn is left untouched. And Howard Vlieger is a farmer who is on a first-name basis with farmers who, who have reported this, a similar thing. It might be that there's a, a GMO sack of corn in the barn left there over the winter next to a conventional sack of corn left there. And he comes out there, the farmer comes out there in the spring and finds that uh, his conventional corn is gone and the GMO corn is gone. They've, they've done that in feeding troughs with, with cows. They've, uh, it's, it's been seen with 10 or 12 different animals. And so, you know, we get all hung up with randomized uh, uh, double, uh, uh, double blind placebo studies and say, well, this, the science really isn't in yet. But these animals don't get hung up on those things. They simply walk up to a GMO cob of corn and they walk away because it's not even food to them. Right. So, so your question about what are the specific health risks uh, when we got the, the GMO stuff going, going on, there are numerous possibilities. Uh, <clears throat> one is uh, allergic reactions. There are, there are a lot of parents now that are reporting that when their kids are first introduced to GMO corn that they, they experience a, an allergic reaction, like an anaphylactic type of shock reaction. And we do know that when the GMO corn was introduced, that a specific gene was turned on and it produced a protein that has never existed before in the history of the world. It's always been there, but it, it's a silent gene. It didn't express itself, but it expresses itself in the GMO corn. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an allergenic, it's, it's an allergen to humans. So uh, Monsanto's response to, was that, to that was, isn't that interesting? Here we are introducing a, a new toxin into the food supply and parents aren't informed. We're not even allowed to know that. We, we have no labeling to even know how to protect ourselves. So we've got uh, reproductive issues that, that are becoming more and more prevalent. We've got endocrine disorders that are becoming more and more pre prevalent. Uh, some people are attributing obesity to, to the GMOs because the GMO crops are uh, they're deficient in nutrients because Roundup is a mineral chelator. It's actually 
patented as a chelator, which means it, it binds the, the minerals in the soil, which means the plants cannot absorb the nutrients. So, so corn has uh, something like 437 times as much calcium, the conventional corn, as does the, the GMO corn. So we're eating stuff that looks like food, but it barely resembles food at all in terms of nutrition. And the animals themselves, would uh, they walk away from it when they're given a choice. Uh, we're uh, in Argentina. The doctors are reporting an epidemic of birth defects, and uh, that is probably caused by by the Roundup itself. We know that Roundup is is also patented as an antibiotic, and so we're getting all this Roundup in, into our digestive system. And a good share of our own DNA is made up of the the, the gut bacteria, uh, and and so we've got this Roundup coming in and killing the beneficial bacteria and the the harmful bacteria is thriving in the presence of this Roundup. And so we're totally messing up our ability to absorb the nutrients the way we're meant to, which causes a host of problems. You know, if we're not, if food somehow isn't even food and, and we're experiencing leaky gut syndrome, which, which many of the doctors are talking about, which causes a whole host of allergies, a whole host of autoimmune disorders, the list goes on and on. All right. So last question before we move on to the, to the running um, why Monsanto? I mean, are they, I, that's the name you always hear associated with this, of course, but uh, is that the only company behind all this? Or is it is it just that they're by far the largest and that's the only, the biggest impact on it? I, I went with the, the We're Monsanto Feeding the World Lie After Lie theme because they are the largest and, and they're the most well-known and, and their lies are probably the most widespread. They're the most egregious. But Monsanto is just leading a, a gang of, of other chemical giants who, who abide by the same principles and, and the same corruption with, with the governments, uh, you, with the worldwide governments. Uh, so there's five or six that are known as, as the big six, and uh, Monsanto is just the biggest of them. Okay. Any any particular resources people can check out with GMOs? I mean, there's your book, which, again, is called We're Monsanto, Feeding the World Lie After Lie. I know for a fact it's on Amazon um, is any other resources people should check out before we get to the running? Jeffrey Smith uh, heads up the Institute for Responsible Technology. If you go to the Institute for Responsible Technology uh, online, it's, it's, it's actually responsibletechnology.org, I believe it is. Uh, you'll find a host of resources there, including his book, Seeds of, uh, Seeds of Deception. There's, uh, and he is a master at covering the health effects associated with GMOs. All right, cool. I appreciate that. I like I said, I have not GMOs are something that I am not that informed upon, so informed about. So um, this has been good, and I'm glad to have somewhere else to, to check it out. Um, okay, so so running, you mentioned that you guys are doing this at least under the banner of of raising awareness about GMOs. I'm wondering what. First of all, what are your other reasons for doing it? Because I'm sure there are others. I mean, you don't just run across the country for for. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know anyone who runs across the country for just a cause. You've got to have something else in your brain going on telling you that this would be a fun thing to do. Um, but other than that, um, I'm blanking what I was going to ask, the other thing. So just let us know. What, well, I, yeah, I just want to know where this idea came from, I guess. This, this story actually starts a couple of years ago, and David's really good at telling this story. Oh, okay, so um, a few years ago, I'm not really sure how many – I'm not really sure how many years ago it was, but a few. 
And my dad showed me this article of a girl who was named Jazzy Jasmine. And she was the youngest female to ever run across the country. And so that just made me think about how cool it would be just to run across the country. I wasn't as much into running as I am now, but I was still, like, I still ran quite a bit then, too. So this idea just kept on circulating around in my head, and I popped it up a few times during the time from then to where we agreed to do it. And my parent, like, of course, my dad was just thinking, oh, yeah, that'd be a cool thing, just telling me that and sort of hoping I'd forget later or something like that. <laughs> exactly. But I... Um, I kept on asking about it and wondering if we were going to do something like it at least. But when um, he finally got down and said, if we're going to do this, you're going to need to train. You're going to need to do all of this stuff. We're all need going to need to get ready for this as a family. And so he told me to think about it. Just really think about what could happen, what good stuff would happen what bad stuff probably would happen. And in the end, I decided that I want to do this. And after that, it was really just finding a better cause than, well, just running. Sure. So it was That's running So it was running first, which I suspected. And then, and then it's like, what, you know, what are we going to do this for? Which is awesome. I'm not, not criticizing that at all, but I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, what I was going to ask was, was, in what way are you guys doing this um, to raise awareness, like is it is it just kind of saying we are doing this to raise awareness, or are you? Is there anything about it, you know, that that is specific um, to the to the non-GMO cause? If that if that makes sense as a question. Well, we're we're talking to you right now, and we plan on talking to people all the way across the country. So we we see that our platform is is incredibly strong. When when you say you're going to run across the country, people people take sure. note. They listen to that especially when it's a 15-year-old who's running across the country, and it's really the 15-year-old, David, who is the impetus for this run. He's the one who initially said, Dad, I want to do that, and, and he kept on coming back and saying, Dad, I want to do that. So so there, there's a powerful story right there. Uh, the fact that we're a father and son team is, is a pretty cool thing, and the fact that we are being crewed by my wife and 13-year-old daughter, Olivia, makes it a whole family affair. So with all of those those things, we, we can attract a lot of attention. A lot of people wake up and say, wow, look at this family. This is really cool what they're doing. And then on top of that, we, we get the, the icing on the cake, and that is that we get to talk about something that's vitally important, even though, even though most of Americans maybe haven't woken up to that truth yet. Uh, those who have say, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. We get all sorts of positive validation. I guess what I'm really asking is, are you going to have T-shirts that have a GMO on them and then a big Ghostbusters cross through it or something that says, uh, that says this is why we're doing this? Yeah, the name of our campaign on Indiegogo is Running for a GMO-Free USA, and I, we're going to stick with that title. That you know, That's a, a positive for message rather than uh, an against there message. There you go. Good. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to emphasize the positive. We're all about sustainable agriculture. We're all about biodiversity. We're all about supporting local farmers, uh, small uh, small family farmers that are able to uh, uh, feed the, the feed their neighbors and get off this idea that a corporation needs to be responsible for feeding the world because it's a ludicrous concept in the first place. 
Good. All right. So it's it's at Indiegogo. It's called Running for a GMO Free USA. Um, we will definitely put a link to that at the bottom in the show notes so that anyone who wants to go check it out. Uh, there's a pretty entertaining almost seven-minute video on there, so go watch that. Um, and then if it's a, if it's something that you want to donate to, then by all means do. Um, we so, appreciate that. We've had a lot. We've received a lot of love, but we need a lot more love on that campaign site. So we uh, we'd really appreciate any support we get there. Sure. And and I yeah. I mean I I was reading in under your on your site what you estimated the cost of the trip to be. You said you said fifty five thousand dollars probably is the cost of the run across the country, not including lost income, um, which is just insane to me. I mean that's that's such a huge thing. Um, so I want to know about that. Like. First of all, David, being 15, what what kind of running, specifically distance experience, do you have, um, or, or will you have? By the, I mean, you guys start in what is it in January or February? January 18th from Huntington Beach. Okay, so so the the training that you're gonna have is uh, it's it's in by now. I mean, there's not all that much more you can do between now and. Do you taper for a run across the country? I don't even know. Um. Well, right now I I wouldn't really call it, be calling it tapering. It's sort of unintentional. But this these uh, last week and this week through the last two weeks of this semester, so I've sort of like I haven't been going on as many long runs. Like in the mornings, I've just been doing more homework and stuff. But before that, I was doing a lot of running in the morning and in the evening, and then on. On the weekends, I would always do a lot longer. Um, David David doesn't toot his own horn, so I'm going to toot it for him. <laughs> last uh, last spring, I had joined up with a colleague of mine at work. He calls himself a recovering ultra runner. He's 60 years old, and we would get together <clears throat> on Saturdays and run 15 miles or so up in the mountains in in the Tongass National Rainforest. And David would come along with us, and <clears throat> I was just so it was so cool to to spend three or four hours with my son running 15 miles, and this is after we had already decided that we were going to do this, and I found that we really enjoyed spending the time together. We really loved trail running, and so when David, at the age of 15, when he talks about long-distance running, it's it's a 15-miler, and when his peers talk about a long-distance race, they're talking about a mile. <laughs> so uh, cross-country started this fall, and David went from being a boy that likes to run and enjoys run into becoming the uh, 3A cross-country champion in Southeast Alaska as a freshman. He was he was 14 at the time when he won that. So he's really uh, evolving into uh, quite an incredible athlete. He doesn't have the ego to, to go with, with what what that usually means, but I but I from what I hear from my brother who coaches cross-country in Utah, he says there's something special about about cross-country people. They, they get together and they do amazing things, and there's a lot of love shared between them, and there's not a whole lot of the ego that you see in some of the more prominent sports. And uh, it's, it's, it's just uh, fun hanging out with, with the cross-country kids. It's been fun running with David. And, and, you know, when you talk about running across the country, most people are doing this in, uh, in 100 days or, or 120 days. We, we're not going out there to race. We're not racing across the country. We're running the country. We plan to do about 15 miles a day, about six days a week. And, uh, and if it may, it may turn into a little bit more than that. It might be a little bit less than that, but we're planning on taking about seven months to do this. My, my goal is that when we finish this, that David will be stronger than ever for the next cross country season and that I, I will not have killed myself. <laughs> so is that what training's been like? Are you, 
throughout training, are you running 10, 15 miles a day? We're, tr- we're actually putting in the 15 milers on, on Saturday and, mm-hmm. and uh, two or three shorter runs during the week. And that's only because we are absolutely packed with our, with our regular lives. Our, our lives sure. are on train here and it's hard to do any different. I, I did uh, amp up the mileage uh, a bit more this past summer when I was down in Utah caring for my, my ailing father. And, uh, and it felt good. It was beautiful to be running in the sun and, and to get the mileage uh, increased. But, but this is a little bit of uncharted territory for us to be putting in 15 miles a day as we're going to be doing when we get going. So uh, there's a lot of question marks out there. And uh, the big question mark is, is all about me and my ability to perform. I think if I tie a rope around David and let him pull me, I'll probably be just fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to have that approach with the lower mileage and, and longer time. Like it almost seems like if you can make it through the first month or two, then then your body will kind of get stronger from it. Whereas whereas with with running 25 or 50 miles a day, uh, it just seems like from the books that I've read about it, like Marshall Ulrich is one of them. Um, yes. or, you know, it's just it's just this gradual decline that it just wears on the body of of all but the you know the most gifted and and well trained athletes. But with 15 miles, it 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 almost seems not by any means to, to diminish what you guys are doing, but it almost seems like if you can get through the initial phase and your body, you know, avoid injury and avoid total breakdown, that that's low enough that it could get to the point where it's actually strengthening your body. So, so your your you know wish of of having David be stronger than ever, it it's to me seems like something that that could happen. It, it, it like my my vote my guess would be that if you guys make it through the first two months, then then you know you're gonna do it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, we've we've got to do it. But but you know, if some injury came along, I'm I'm not. We're not out there to prove that we're Superman at all. And I don't want to injure David. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take any risks with that. So if something serious came along, we would have to change it or maybe a camp for a few weeks and and hang out until we could heal up. And and those things are all all big question marks out there. But right now, our attitude is that we're gonna go out there and we're gonna make this work. Sure, I so, like that. And I think I think having having being willing to just camp for a few weeks and then and then heal up that's that's a fantastic mindset you know that you're going to make it no matter what and and you'll figure out a way to do it that's cool yeah so so your wife and your daughter are are crewing you guys right they're driving behind which i think is a really neat thing um how are they how do they feel about this uh challenge uh we're all getting more and more excited about it uh they we all have our our different role and We've we've said to to Chris and Olivia that that I really don't want them hanging around on the road while we're running because I'm concerned about their safety and, and roads are an unsafe place to be, and we plan on running with a jogging stroller and, and we're calling it a seed stroller and that seed stroller mm-hmm. is going to be packed with uh, with uh, organic heirloom seeds supplied by 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 Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company right now and that's going to say GMO free USA on them and everywhere we go we're going to have seed swaps. We're going to give our presentations and, and our message is going to be, you know, we're dis- disseminating truth as we disseminate seeds across the country. Uh, so so while we have the seed stroller there, we'll also have the, the gear that we need to get us through a 15 miler. So it's not like we're going to need a logistical sp- uh, support each day, but but they will play a vital role in, in being able to to check out where we're going to be staying for, for the next night or, or talking to people on the phone, doing the PR stuff, the marketing stuff, so that we're ready to, to take on the next interview. You guys are going to hate pushing that jogging stroller after the first two days. 
I'm, I'm sensing. Now, have, uh, you, have, you, have you done much running with Dragon Chiller? I hate it. No. And, and I, I think <laughs> you're right. I think it's going to be a bit of a burden. Uh, we, we really like to run light. And, yeah. And we go 15 miles around here with, with no, no water even because it's so cool. We can do that. And, well, without, so. a, without a baby in it, you can, like, shove it really far ahead and then kind of catch up to it and take, like, 20 steps to catch up to it. With a baby in there, you can't, you can't really do that. <laughs> I, I, the most I'll do is about five steps that way, and then uh, it's not very really good. Your, your wife is going to – you're going to have to pay for that comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've stopped running with the stroller entirely, basically, just because of antics like that, basically. Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so last thing I want to know about this running across the country um, – Actually, there are a few more things, but just in the interest of time, the last thing that I will ask is, what are you guys' plans for eating food, being vegetarian and vegan? Um, I guess I guess a lot of a lot of food. There's and for the sake of not eating GMOs, I mean, you're, there's not going to be a whole lot of convenience foods in many parts of the country. You guys right. just going to bring it along and and have um, your wife I mean, hand, handle most of that? Yeah, we're going to drive a truck and we'll we'll have a we'll be pulling a trailer and where we'll sleep and it'll have a kitchen and all that. So, so we're going to stock, uh, our food, uh, for most of the meals, I would guess that'll save money and it'll, it'll be good for us. And, and I hope that we can eat pretty much the way we eat here, perhaps even better because we do live in Sitka, Alaska. We, we have fewer food choices than we might have down South. Uh, so, you know, our philosophy in eating, it has been for years to go with a whole food plant-based diet and uh, we we try to do that every meal, and, and I have one rule at every every meal, and that is that we eat five items. So in many many homes, uh, parents are telling their kids to not eat this and not eat not eat that, and and at our dinner table, let's say you know you got to get at least five different whole foods on your plate, and and over time with our kids doing that, they they may pick up that kernel of corn or whatever it is, and after a time they they develop a taste for it, and so so David in particular is. Uh, is a voracious uh, salad eater, and you know most most 14, 15 year old kids aren't into salad. Uh, up here, up here in Alaska, salads can uh, uh, they're harder to come by. Uh, I, I was working with a village kid from way up north, and, and uh, in my work setting, and we had a big salad in, in front of us on on the table, and he said, "What's that?" <laughs> and I said, "It's a salad." And he said, "Is it good?" And I said, uh, "Try it." And he said, "Uh uh-uh. uh." <laughs> so he wasn't even going to try it. He had never seen a salad before. So, oh. so it's kind of a different world when you get up in the the village areas of Alaska. But, but for us, you know, we're, we're the whole foods, plant based folks, and we want to do the best we can with uh, sticking to that. I, I'm a bit of a smoothie addict, and uh, so I've got to have my smoothies. And, and I love uh, occasionally making a a blast, which which has some lemon juice and some ginger and some high powered herbs and things in it. And that, that's that's basically the meal plan. Good. All right. Well, I I look forward to hearing how it goes for you guys. This is it's definitely a, a different uh, running across the country story. I mean, not not that you hear all that many of them, but we actually had um, a woman on in, our, in a previous episode not that long ago who is also doing this running across the country. She uh, is going to do a marathon a day or 50k a day or so. Um, but the interesting spin on that is she's only done one or two marathons in her life, so it, it's quite the big goal. She's not doing it until 2015. But anyway, they all have their own interesting story. The, the re- everybody seems to have a reason for doing it, so yes. um, it, it's cool to hear about yours. I appreciate that it is a mission that um, I think will resonate with the No Meat Athlete audience, and uh, once again, I urge everyone to go check out the Indiegogo campaign. 
We will put the link for it at the bottom of the show, but in case you're just listening, it is called Running for a GMO-Free USA. So um, check it out. Support it. Also, um, we've got Brett's book, which if I can pull it up here, is called We Are Monsanto, Feeding the World Lie After Lie. Um, Brett, is the best place to get that on Amazon? Yes, that's actually the only place. Okay. And your blog is runningthecountry.com. That's correct. So check that out. Um, anything else, guys? We're also on Facebook. We've got the, the group, uh, fa- uh, Facebook group name Running the Country or the Facebook page Running the Country. And we, we sign up, join, whatever, like us, and, and we'll keep you updated uh, via that route if, if that works for you. All right. Sounds good. And also on Twitter at Running the USA. That's cool. Um, Brett and David, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is definitely a different episode for us and uh, one that I think people will like. So thank you very much for your time and best of luck with with your Indiegogo campaign and the the run itself. Thank you. Thank you, Matt and Doug. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, guys. guys. Good luck.